from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Okay, we should be good. All right. Welcome to People's Hey everyone. Guide to Welcome once mythos. again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I'm one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer. To my virtual right, as always, we have Gretchen Brooks and also David Heath, Farmer Dave. How is everyone doing this week? I am well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How are you doing, Just, Gretchen? I am doing pretty good. Just been um, kind of busy with work. And like last weekend, I... Did a couple of Halloween-y type things. That was pretty fun. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, looking at stuff for the HP Lovecraft Film Festival still? or Yeah, yeah. I'm just slow. Sorry, Gwen. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Um, I'm only watching features this time around just because I'm um, going to help out with the VIP party. And um, I'm sure we have panels. So oh, yeah. um, my plan is to just, um, just to watch features. So sure. not good features and yeah. some good <laughs> okay. very cool uh the year uh the theme this year is the 1933 world's fair yeah yeah i think i Not i may have uh, a world fair yeah i think i may have whispered that suggestion towards uh gwen and brian last year <laughs> oh right on but then again, it may be something that Brian was thinking about beforehand. I don't know. I don't want to take credit. I just want to say, I remember saying it, possible lateral thinking going on. Just like I didn't invent Chipotle Ranch, but I did come up with it long before other people did. <laughs> say what? Oh, <laughs> I'm just being weird, Gretchen. Okay, I'm like, wait, wait. Did you like like discover Chipotle Ranch? I mean, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I may have not discovered it. It's it's like uh, you know, Marconi and the other people. It's like uh Marconi's just the one who uh got got the uh, radio out there first. Dot 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 the other people is Nikola Tesla. Dot dot, dot. Yeah, yeah. I'm the Nikola <laughs> Tesla of ranch dressing. You are. You are the you are the Nikola Tesla of salad dressings. <laughs> hey, guys, give me just one second. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to cut this out, but let me just one second. No problem.
And as everyone knows, it won't be cut out. <laughs> Actually, it might be if it's a really big gap. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you have anything going on this weekend coming up? I This weekend, I am without market. I am uh, just going to be trying to get my machines up and running so I can have stuff for the next couple of markets. And then... Uh, I believe September 19th in Portland, Oregon, I'm going to have a uh, table up at the Unicorn Bazaar at uh, The Escape in, uh, I think, northeast Portland. Oh, yeah. That's actually, like, down the way from me, weirdly. Oh, cool. So that that Tuesday? I mean, that's a Tuesday? Yep, it's a Tuesday. Oh, right on, right on. How yeah. bizarre that you're bizarre. How bizarre. Exactly, exactly. And it's called The Escape Bar, and I always wanted to be called The Escape Club, because that uh, one band. Like the, the band? Club. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we're not talking. Wanted, but it was probably copywritten. Yeah, possibly. Probably. Uh, so today we're talking about a terrible old man and another terrible old man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the middle part's about, but hopefully it's not a terrible old man. Maybe. It might Maybe. be a terrible old man of some sort. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So, yeah, uh, Gretchen, do you have anything fun and exciting going on last week, coming up this week? Um, this week, I'm just um, going to, like, a uh, backyard movie night thing and then next week i took the whole week off from work i'm really excited to have a day week off nice. it's gonna be so nice i'm gonna maybe go on some hikes um it's my birthday week next oh cool well, next thursday birthday. is my birthday actually nice. we're recording very cool turn them the big 47 Woo! Oh, crazy yeah yeah all right Dave, how about yourself? Anything fun, exciting going on around you this week? What is that word? I, I've never heard of that word. That word fun? fun? That word exciting? Fun? <laughs> what, what does that mean? I, I... All right. That answers my question. Uh, last week, I was at a market, sold a bunch of stuff. This week, I am not at any markets, just hanging out, fixing my machines, and yep, yep. Not That's even it. the supermarket? Uh, maybe the corner market. Okay. Yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's it for me. And uh, yeah, this week, we're talking about two terrible old men, hopefully no terrible old men in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, this first terrible old man we're going to be talking about, though, uh, was first written about in 1928 and uh, put into publication, or uh, 1920. Uh, and put into publication yeah, thank you. In 1921. And that is The Terrible Old Man, the namesake of the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft story. Uh, and this is, the first, this is the first Lovecraft story set in New England. Yeah, yeah, this is set in Kingsport, New England. Oh, which wow. is uh, not a real place, but I, I think it's supposed to be a stand-in for Marble's Head. I believe that uh, I believe that you are correct there. Oh, 
but yeah, yeah. Uh, first, first mentioned in the terrible old man. Also mentioned in the festival. Uh, briefly mentioned in some other stories, but yeah. At yeah. House on the High Hill. Yep, House on the High Hill is one. Uh, and um. So really yeah. quickly, a little clarification on what we said. Yes. It is the first story set in New England he wrote, not the first story published. All right. So he wrote Picture in a House. He wrote um, The Terrible Old Man in January of 20. And around the summertime, he wrote The Picture in the House. Okay. And I believe that The Picture in the House was published a month or so before The Terrible Old Man. It's not the first published story, but it's the first written story. All right. It's set in New England. Okay. For all you nitpickers out there. Yeah. Was this before or after um, the Telltale Heart from um, Edgar Allan Poe? I'm pretty sure Poe had died in like the 1860s or 50s. So Poe had been dead for a while. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just curious because this has doesn't this have a um a little bit of Poe vibe to it? Absolutely. Oh yeah. And, and in this part, remember, Lovecraft has not been writing very long. And all of his stuff is gonna be published in amateur stuff at this or amateur magazines at this time. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft is very clearly that he is copying Poe and Dunzani. Yeah. Oh, and he's okay. he's very open, you know. He says, "I've got my Poe period, I've got my Dunzany t- period. When am I going to have my own Lovecraft period?" Mm-hmm. And the answer he doesn't know that, but the answer is in about twelve years. I was going to ask, like, uh, did they ever have the opportunity to meet, or were the, the, or had he already passed before? Yes, he yep. did meet Dunzany. He did meet yeah. D- Dunzany at once. Okay, I'm uh, just curious. I don't not. really know much about Edgar Allan Poe's like, uh, like life and death. I mean, other than what everybody randomly knows, but like, I didn't know if. I mean, I can tell that Lovecraft is obviously influenced by him, but I wasn't certain if they had had any like rapport. Yeah, and not to go off on a tangent, mm-hmm. but nobody knows the truth about Poe's death. Ooh. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll cover the middle part. Maybe it'll be about Poe's death. No, right. there's a lot of theories. Because yeah. he died in what, 1850, 45, 49? I don't remember. Before the Civil War. I know it was mm-hmm. before the Civil War. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I didn't realize how far in timeline they, like Lovecraft and Poe were. For some reason, I thought they were a little closer in timeline. Yeah. Wow. What year was Lovecraft born? 1890. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he definitely, like, they definitely never crossed paths. Wow. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why I always thought that Poe was later on for some reason. Uh, Just because Poe's timeless and people, when they uh, want to depict the era of Poe's time, it's easier to depict Victorian instead of Poe's actual era because uh, people can look and see Victorian and it clicks. Oh, yeah, 1800s. But if you did early oh. 1800s, people would be like, what, is this like Revolutionary War or something? Are you ready to be freaked out? Go yeah. For it. 
Edgar Allan Poe died on October 7th, the day we were recording this, in 1849. No kidding! That's cool. Very cool. So, not the day people are listening to it. He died on the day we were recording this. So that Mm -hmm. that is some symmetry, and I'm freaked out. Whoa. Wow. Right. So let's get back to... A different terrible old man. Not saying sorry, that Edgar sorry. Allan Poe was terrible, but maybe this I'm implying guy, Lovecraft wasn't I like wasn't this the story, you guys. Yeah, it's a good story. This is a fun one. Yes. This is kind of in the vibe of the Lovecraft that I like to read. Like, I mean, he, um, it also has a little bit of a Dickens vibe. It has, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, there's some fun, it has some fun, like, moments to it. Sure. The, talking about like killing this guy no it's it's a funny story it's a weird story it's got parts that make you go wait a minute what's that about yeah and you know it's it's i remember the first time reading it not knowing where it was gonna go it's like oh he's some sort of sea monster or something or it's like you don't know where it goes and you literally don't know what happens you just know that something happens I like that. I like that it ends kind of openly like that. And yeah. so this is going to maybe be, probably not maybe the first, but one of the, at least first I experienced, of the trope where the bad guys break into even badder guys' place. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind like, of uh, like the Gotham. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Like like the Gotham criminals breaking into the warehouse owned by the Joker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of that movie where the the guy is a serial killer, he's blind, and the kid the teenagers break into his don't place. Make a sound. What's that? I think it's don't make a sound. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or don't yeah. It's it um this or, that yeah. has that same kind of like they're not good and neither is he, but he's actually even worse and yeah. yeah. There's a really good one set in Portland called The oh. Bad Samaritan, Samaritan with David Tennant. Oh. Where the guy who plays Klaus in uh, the Umbrella Academy, uh-huh. he's, a, he's, he's a car valet. And so while people are at his restaurant, he uses their car and drives to their house and uses his, their, uh, their uh, garage door openers and breaks in their house. And it turns out David Tennant is the serial killer who now goes after him. I love it. <laughs> yeah, one watch other, that on my week off. Yeah. One other example. It, it's a very good, disturbing movie. Mm-hmm. And halfway through, I, mean, I was promised a David Tennant movie. Oh, where's David Tennant? Oh, this blonde guy I've been watching through half the movie. That's actually David Tennant. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> so... Great movie, very disturbing movie. But I got another example of this mm-hmm. that I think might have been based on the terrible old man. Okay. And that is Robert Block's The Yugoslavs, which is an obscure short story, but it's the same thing where this main character, it's told in first person, is looking for his key that got stolen. Uh-huh. And he has to find it by the end of the day. Or by by morning, and it was stolen by a bunch of criminals that uh, call themselves Yugoslavian. He's not sure if they are. But turn out they are, 
He tracks them into a sewer, and they decide they're going to try to kill him. Jeez. And he sends this army of rats after him, and they're all eaten by these rats. And he gets his <laughs> key, and he says, how did they think they were going to beat me? You know, they were only Yugoslavs, and I'm a Transylvanian. Wham, it's Dracula. This character you've been following the entire short story, told first person, turns out to be Dracula at the end. <laughs> Now, this was one of the last, I mean, Block, Block published this in like 86. It's one of the last things Oh, okay. I figured it, that sounded like a, a much younger Block, but no, I, I, I see. Yeah. But, you know, Block and, and Lovecraft, they were correspondents. Lovecraft mm-hmm. dedicated stories to Block. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm really curious if maybe, you know, Block was inspired by this. It's a very inspirational story. I mean, there's a lot you can do with it, and there's a lot that you can pull from it, since there's so little that's you actually like. There's so little details you can add details to it. You can take it. You can put it in a different environment. Make the criminals a different type of criminals. Maybe it's a drug dealers or you know petty thieves like they are, but different types of petty thieves or I don't know. And, and, oh. and a good example of that. Mm-hmm. It was a couple of years at the Lovecraft Film Festival, The Terrible Old Woman. Oh. Where it, it, it's a good, good for what it's solid, you know, short, but not only is, you know, the title character now female, one of the bad guys, I think it's reduced down to two bad guys, is also female. Okay. I remember one from a number of years ago that took place in the inner city and it was an old guy scooting down the road and he had a big bag full of like gold chains and coins and stuff. And then three guys see him scooting down the road and they're like, let's rob that fool. And then they, you know, break into his house. You hear lights and flashing and then you see the old man scooting down the road with their chains and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw that a number of years ago at uh, the Lovecraft Film Festival. Yeah, I think there's been several versions of this. Oh, yeah, it's an easy story to do. If there was a story I was going to adapt, it's like, well, j- a pff, hardest thing you need is an old man or someone to wear an old man makeup or change it so you have an old woman or an old dog or... I don't know. Maybe you do the terrible middle-aged woman. Uh, you do you. You figure it out. I'm not your boss. So another form is the terrible old man, the video game. Oh yeah. Oh really? Yeah. So it's it's practic. I think you can pick it up for Steam, like for like two dollars, and it's practically a. Choose your own adventure story with um, where, yeah, so it's not a lot of choices, um, but at the end of the story, if you yeah. get it right and you win, you get killed because you're it's from the three criminals. Yeah. Yeah. Let me shut a window. I've got a neighbor doing something in their yard. Okay. Sorry, that's okay. oh, and there's no a whole walkthrough of the game on on YouTube. So if you don't want to pay the two dollars and you don't want to play the 
the game you can watch it's only like the whole game is like 19 minutes yeah kind of like the story <laughs> like this, uh, <laughs> seriously like the story i think reads in like 10 minutes i think i i expect i was sitting down i was like well, I'm going to sit down and read another Lovecraft story, and it should be... I should, I'm giving myself about two hours. All right, ten minutes later. 1,200 yep. words. Wow. Yeah. And, and I think that this is very evident that he was relatively young and in the beginning of his career. Uh-huh. Yeah. He definitely left it way more open-ended. I mean, like, like the idea. It felt like he was going to reuse this character, or maybe the robbers, or what, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Also, so, um, okay. Putting this on a modern perspective, is this another like version of like, um, I'd say, uh, like, he's kind of xenophobic. Yeah. The the terrible old man. Oh, I don't know if the terrible old man's xenophobic, but Lovecraft is by giving everyone like. Uh, oh well, like, he describes everybody as the heterogeneous alien stock, which relies with outside the charm circles of New England life. Yeah, I, like, I, I think okay. the terrible old. I think any anyone who goes into the terrible old man's house is going to end up with the same fate. I don't, you know, I I assume that the terrible old man, most of his friends are of uh foreign foreign nature being uh i don't know on east clipper ships and all yeah um yes and lovecraft did seem to relish in the demise of people who are italian and yeah he did I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have made a point of like calling them of any kind of thing, like mm-hmm. other than just being like four fellas or three fellas came upon. It would it would have been that yeah, but the fact that he went out of his way, like I said, to a heterogeneous alien stock, like yeah. really, come on. And um, is is the terrible old man? Is he a monster because he does have unsettling yellow eyes? Or does he have jaundice? <laughs> it might be both. <laughs> yes, and and so I don't think Lovecraft talked about his early works very much. Mm-hmm. But we see things and like the King of Yellow, we talk about a lot about the color yellow. About oh, do you how think? The color of decay. It's the color of decadence. Uh, apparently, uh, like dirty books were wrapped up in yellow paper when they were shipped. Well, yeah, I mean, when the notion of like the, I mean, of somebody who has jaundice is like somebody who has lived a life of too much decadence and whatnot. Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay, and, and, cool. I like that take on it, David. Yeah, and so uh, there's a theory, and I'm not sure who proposed it, and whether or not it's true or not, that this was sort of the prototype for Curran in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Oh I yeah, I read that, that somewhere, but I wasn't certain <laughs> if that was actually like real or not. I, I don't I think that's people guessing. Sure. But I think writers do you know sometimes base new characters on old characters. Yeah. Well and especially if this is one of his like older works and one of his younger stories, I mm-hmm. he's probably like probably kept that in the back of his brain and was like all right we're just gonna revisit this yeah yeah 
And, and the character does show up a little bit. Like he says, he's, he's actually helpful to the protagonist in the house on the high hill. Or mm. Yeah. And, yeah, no. And the story itself, it's very kind of a short story. It doesn't take very long. Um, anything supernatural isn't shown or explained. It's just kind of hinted at and just kind of a older terrible secret and that's something that i like about this early lovecraft it's it's much like uh picture in the house which comes yeah. after this yeah. which is like oh that's a creepy story and it's like lovecraft stories where he doesn't resort to phantasmagorical or um alien uh, I think this horrors. is the Lovecraft that I like. I'm with you, DB, on that. I'm, this is the Lovecraft that I like to hear, like to read. Like his creepy. And, and, yeah. and first yeah. of all, I, I've made a mistake. What's that? mistake. It's not the house on the high hill, despite what I call it. It's the strange, it's the strange house, house in the mist. Yeah. That's close. Yeah. I knew what you're talking about, so I didn't correct it. But yeah, well, thank you. Like but you're somebody in their mind is out there. So you, yeah. you, you were right. <laughs> and to me i think there is this very strong see i read it kind of differently to me there's a very strong supernatural aspect yeah and that's with the crew in the bottle yeah that yeah that, that i feel like is kind of like always kind of this like unexplainable like what the heck is that um and your miles may vary but yeah. to me when I first read it, that's where the three guys went. Oh. But oh, but what about their bodies? That mutilated bodies they found on like where the were. Well, they're they're souls. Oh. But, but again, I don't think Lovecraft ever spilled that out, and it's definitely uh, your miles may vary. Yeah, yeah. I always, I've, I've always assumed my my head canon is that the pendulums in the bottles, the little spoons, and everything like that. What they are are the souls of his former uh, crewmates yeah. that he keeps alive somehow, or it's just their spirits, or, uh, you know, it's it's just he's crazy. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 a lot and again, this is just headcanon. Yeah. Mm. But to me, he turned his crew into batteries, and that's how he lives so long, oh. is that their souls that keep him going. But again, Lovecraft doesn't specifically say that, so it's it's up for interpretation. Certainly, I think that's why I like the this because of the, because of that because he leaves it so open ended that it could be just like what we we were that little footnote of story where it talks about the bottle is like you're it you just kind of wash past it and thinking about the other things and you're like wait 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 what was that? Yeah, yeah, and I love the concept that his house is like was old even in the days of colonial america or dates back to like i picture like early uh, colonial america yeah yeah like i picture like um as if you took the like the 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 captain's room on a ship and then you put it in a house that's what i yeah, picture absolutely. it looking like yeah Fun lots of stuff stuff yeah yeah no no it's it's an invocative story it's 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 one of those Lovecraft stories where it's like 
hey, is this Charles, uh, not Charles Dexter Ward, uh, is this uh, Randolph Carter telling us this? <laughs> I'm so glad it's not. That would have yeah. ruined it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Like, I think I really like, I think this is the, this is the vibe of Lovecraft that I like. This is, this, I like the scary stuff, like where he's like creepy. Yeah. 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 No, this is, this is, uh, as, as I've said before, this is like Lovecraft's Poe. Yeah. And I like Lovecraft's Poe. Um, I like it a little bit more than some of his other stuff, but yeah, I like Lovecraft's Poe. Sure. All right. I feel like an Igmo not knowing how, what year Lovecraft, I mean, what year like Edgar Allan Poe, I think they're going to take my goth card away. <laughs> oh, I was going to make that joke, but then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that actually may happen. So. <laughs> That's okay. I, 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 I'm the one that botched the, the strange high house in the mist title. It's so. all right. <laughs> we human, Dave. We human. I, I know. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I think unless there's anything else we want to talk about the terrible old man, I think that's it for right now. I think that we can put the terrible old man to rest. All right. Back into <laughs> a jar I just or had something. A thought. Cutlass yeah. stabbed through I just him. Had a thought. And then, then we can put it to rest. Stomped mm. by heavy heel boots. Mm. All right. You know, Lovecraft never says that the ter terrible old man died. Yep. That's in true. some universes, he could still be, you know, in the 21st century. Totally. He could be totally. Hester. That's all we, for all we know. Yep. Okay, all right. that's all I had to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, up next is the middle part. And after that, we are going to be talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, a uh, 1988 uh, fantasy horror film and uh, the fourth in the Elm Street series. So, yeah, we'll be talking about that and we'll talk to you in a moment about that. Can you guys give me just two minutes? I'll be right back. You bet. In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes they get stronger. I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese. And a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. An ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best 
loose leaf tea, and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. And a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. It's me, Farmer Dave, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. Now, like any good cosmic horror fan, I know quite a bit about Poe, or I thought I did, but I'm not an expert. It's not like uh, Ambrose Bierce, who I know quite a bit about, or Lovecraft, who I've got a slight obsession with, uh, but... And I also will be open that, even though I do have a degree in history, everything that I got on this was from open source. So, like I said, I do have a historical background, but I got everything from other sources, which I'll cite at the end. So, almost none of this is going to be original research. And one of problems researching Poe's life is that a lot of what we know about him, or what we publicly think we know about him in the general level, not at the scholarly level, are blatant disinformation and lies. Because um, Poe's uh, biographer, uh, Rufus Wilmot Griswold, hated him. I mean, hated him with a passion and wrote these lies that just defamed him after he died, which ironically may have worked in Poe's advantage uh, as keeping his name known to the modern public. So before we talk about Poe's death, let's talk a little bit about how Griswold affected him. And I'm going to give a, a an example which, honestly, I believed up until about three or four years ago because I had read this when I was in high school, and it's in a book. I'm in high school. It must be true. But the story that uh, Poe was kicked out of West Point because he went to a full parade completely naked. Apparently, Griswold made that up. Poe did go to West Point. He was kicked out, but there's no real evidence or reports of the story about him being kicked out because he 
wouldn't wear clothing until after he died. Like I said, Griswold pretty much, well, we're pretty sure made that up. Also, um, apparently his official records say that Poe got uh, kicked out of West Point because he wouldn't go to Sunday chapel service. There may be more to that story than we're getting on either side. So why did the guy who was basically responsible for sharing Poe to the world after his death hate him so much? And how did he get this opportunity to uh, be uh, Poe's biographer? So in his lifetime, Poe was known you know, in literary circles, but on the bottom tier of the three things that he was known for, writing horror spooky stories was number three. Number two was as a poet, and number one was as a critic. And so he actually had some degree of power and gravitas as a literary critic in his lifetime. So Griswold and Poe were rivals. Um, Griswold would later write, you know, I kind of exaggerated me when I said originally they were friendly, but he always looked down on Poe as this poor Southerner. And Griswold tried to be a, a minister and he failed. And so he has this heavy, failed preacher vibes going on, which conflicts with Poe. But there was, at least in the beginning, some degree of respect for each other's work. So when Griswold is writing or collecting a book of poetry called, unoriginally enough, Poets and Poetry, he gets Poe to contribute. And then he gets this brilliant idea. Well, since Poe is a really well-known critic, and his poems are in my book, I will just get him to do a critique of it. So people will read it, get excited, and buy the book. Well, it turns out, you know, you get back then, if you were going to do a review, there's a nominal charge. Poe probably got 10 bucks or so. So Griswold pays his $10 thinking that he is going to get this really good review from Poe because Poe's poems are in his book and Poe rips it to shreds. Just devastates it. Writes a 19th century version of No Stars Would Not Recommend which Griswold felt that he is betrayed. He felt that, you know, Poe owed it to him, not only because he paid, which was the common practice back then, but also because, you know, he included Poe's writings. Why would Poe, you know, sabotage a book where his poems were in? So, after Poe's death, and we're going to get to that in just a bit, uh, Griswold became basically his autobiographer, but also he was uh, in charge of publishing uh, Poe's work posthumously. He basically secured the rights to 
publish Poe and write about Poe from Poe's mother-in-law. Now, he seemed to have this plan in mind that he was going to sabotage Poe. Um, first of all, Poe's mother-in-law didn't really have the legal rights, and this kind of is going to, you know, 90, 80, 90 years later, it's kind of kind of be reminiscent of what's going to happen with Lovecraft and Robert Barlow and August Derleth. But Derleth probably was very manipulative and maybe did some underhanded things. Derleth did it because he thought he was protecting Lovecraft. Griswold was the exact opposite. He was going after Poe. The rights to represent Poe after his death probably went to his, or seemingly went to his sister. But I don't really see that was invoked. And Griswold got Poe's mother-in-law to give him the, the rights. And Poe's mother-in-law seemed to have had good intent. She was aware of Griswold, maybe didn't know how much the two didn't get along, and she may have even approached Griswold first. But, you know, she basically signed over the rights that she may have not understood she didn't have, probably in an attempt to preserve Poe's legacy. But it's kind of like, you know, the Joker is going to write Batman's eulogy. And so he is going to, Griswold is going to basically paste this that Poe was a drunkard, that he died of alcohol poisoning. Poe had mental issues. Poe had issues with alcoholism through his life. This simplistic view that Griswold's going to post that Poe basically drank himself to death is going to be simplistic at best, dishonest at worst. So, on October 7th, 1849, Poe was found going in and out of consciousness and coherence. And strangely enough, he was wearing someone else's clothing. Poe, in a stupor, before he dies, is going to call out the name Reynolds. And it's not really sure who this was. It's possible that he was calling out to Jeremiah Reynolds, who's the explorer that he knew and acquainted with, and maybe, you know, was the inspiration for uh, 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 the main character of the narrative of Arthur Gordon Prim of Nantucket. The why he would be calling him is beyond anybody's guess. Now, Poe, in his delirium, was kept in basically a prison-like portion of the hospital reserved for alcoholics. So that's not really good for this, well, Poe didn't die of alcoholism theory, but uh, people weren't allowed in. Um, he was attended by a Dr. Snodgrass and another man named Moran. Now, Moran is going to probably embellish 
and change the story. I mean, things change. And he, you know, basically had all these poetic things that Poe said before he died. It wasn't really how he normally talked. And there's a lot of questions. Uh, Moran says that he reached out to Maria Clems, which was Poe's mother-in-law, the same one who gave away his literary rights. Um, side note, in addition to being his mother-in-law, she was also his aunt, dot, 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 put the two parts together. But it turns out he didn't reach out to her immediately after Poe died. She had to contact him in the hospital to find out. So what this means is that the person that was with Poe the most before he died was an unreliable narrator. So Poe died of pain and agony, uh, in and out of delirium, but what caused it? And there are theories, and there are theories. And anyone tells you that they know for certainty what killed Edgar Allan Poe, well, they don't, just bluntly, it's a theory, and they may have a lot of evidence to support their theory. And next week, we're going to deep dive into some of the theories of who killed the first mystery writer. Right. Um, moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook, we're under People's Guide, the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. Welcome back. Uh, we're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master. 
Yeah. And this is a Gretchen pick, I believe. <laughs> it is. Okay. <laughs> this this doesn't feel like nor, uh, one of your normal picks. It's not. It's 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 an English. And There's no existential crisis. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's not like a bunch of sexy people. It's it's it's. Wait, wait, wait. Freddy Krueger is not sexy. No, hey, no. Your 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 mileage may vary. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Although in in the 80s, he did kind of get this kind of, if not sex, you know, sex uh, figure, sort of charismatic figure status. Yeah, 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 no, definitely a cultural icon, Freddy Krueger, appearing in his own television show. Oh, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, trading so, cards, yeah. bad boy videos, <laughs> imitate. Yeah, I was gonna say appearing in rap videos and imitated in other rap videos by Will Smith. <laughs> He's also in a Japanese like um, battery commercial or something like that. Or like there was also like a prank show that used um, Freddy Krueger and Robert England actually was on it. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of weird stuff like. Even I remember very distinctly, um, here's going to age me super well, like I also said my age earlier, um, sure. the the 1-900 numbers, oh, there yeah. was one where you could call and um, Freddy Krueger, you could talk to Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. like it would have a recorded message and like you would get a different like one each time. And he would kind of tell like a little like story on the, it was really bizarre. Yeah. I remember that I got permission from my dad to, to call it because I was like, I want to call Freddy Krueger and see what he has to say. <laughs> oh, wow. You're the first person I know who's ever called the Freddy Krueger line. What? Yeah. Really? I, I mean, like, everyone I knew was like, you know, wicked poor. And if, like, he did something like that, it'd be a good way to get, you know, grounded or... <laughs> Not be allowed to watch MTV for a week or something. Here's, here's well, yeah, the like it's one thing about this film is that um, the the it was very MTV generation, oh, right? My like goodness. so, it was yeah. totally aimed at us. Yeah. Like this came out in 1988. I was um, I would say I was 12 at the time, and this was one of those like mine like marker movies like i think that's why i love it so much it's like it holds such a special place in my heart because back in the day like mtv used to do these spots for um like halloween or mm-hmm. um like a horror movie that had a lot of like product placement in it they would do like a special kind of showing videos and like clips about it and like i think freddie krueger even hosted like a video block on mtv correct me if i'm oh. wrong no, you're you're correct. Okay. So yeah, like that's why I think that's why this movie is so special to me and so cozy to me because it brings it's super nostalgic. And it's yeah. also the first one I ever got the opportunity to see in the theater. Yeah. Like it was the this the this film had wasn't so scary to me as it was just like, this is what teenagers are like. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow, they look so mature. And like, I remember hearing that, that, um, Sinead O'Connor, Nina Cherry crossover song, lay your hands on me for the first time. And Uh I I was hooked. Yeah. 
I, I just remember this was like one of those films that just like laid its seed in me. And I was like, I love like horror films. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. No, this, this film, I remember it coming out and not being able to not, not seeing it uh, when it came out because I don't know. My parents are like, yeah, you're not going to go see a nightmare on Elm street with your sister. My sister and her friends, they went and saw it opening night. And like, it was sometime in like the summertime. And then I remember next year uh, in 89, I was in Wisconsin and uh, yeah. And then like my cousins had it on VHS and I watched it and I was like, oh, wow. But my sister had already told me about all the kills. So I knew about all the kills. I didn't know how everything was related. And she never saw the third one. She's like, so some kids from like the one before this, they die and then it gets good. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember the first time I watched this, like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Because it <laughs> was yesterday. Aha. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. So what'd you think? It's not what I thought. Yeah. Really? And the, the production value was much higher than I thought. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That with and the fact that, of course, it's eighties. It's practical effects. Oh yeah. yeah. And it kind of a couple places it kind of drops off. Ralph agrees with me here. <laughs> um, like the guy when when the guy's fighting the invisible invisible Freddy. Yeah. The karate. Apparently that he was supposed to die in the elevator, okay. but they ran out of money for that effect, so all they could afford was him to fight by himself. Oh no! Oh wow! Um, but it's so effective and dumb. I mean, that's that's what's so great about this movie is, is like I feel like it also after okay, so like the third movie was like chef kisses right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like yeah. that was the magical moment when we got the crossover where freddy krueger really started like saying like dumb shit and like yes being ridiculous but but the kills were still pretty like still pretty gory but still pretty scary yeah then you hit this film and it's like oh boy yeah <laughs> it gets we a get bit goofy we yeah. suck face uh-huh, yeah uh-huh. it just we just it just goes off the chain and then yeah. the dream, the dream master aspect. Bless her, bless her, Alice. Yeah. Poor girl. She Nobody had the dry shampoo in that entire that. movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I will though back to the MTV part. Yeah. Great music. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, One, got, wonderful you know, Rama Rama. You got Billy Idol. Well, the funny them. story, the girl who plays Kristen um, Tuesday night, yeah. she sings that running through a nightmare, that song. Uh-huh. That's her song. Okay. Yeah. And, so and it also has the vinyls. Not yeah. that the vinyl song that you're thinking about their audience, I know you. <laughs> well, it's the only divinal song anyone knows, unless you tell them what the song from this is. And then they'll know a second Divinal song even exists. That yeah, that was back to uh, back to the wall was the Divinal song in this one. Yeah, gotcha. Yes, um, 
but also what I was thinking, it's uh, I mean they didn't call it the, the MTV, you know, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And I think it's the flip coin of the hunger. The hunger was obviously influenced by MTV, mm-hmm. but that it's influenced by say the more steamy aspects, the yeah. Chris Isaac videos, some of the early Madonna videos, where this is more, you know, David Lee Roth, Van <laughs> you know, it, it, Billy Idol. Does, yeah. Billy, yeah, it does have this aspect. And honestly, MTV gets hit a lot, takes a lot of bad press. Or, but this is when it was good. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the editing, the jumping editing, the color, that wasn't bad. No. No. But people a lot of look back and, and look, you know, say bad things about it now. But it was definitely, I mean, it worked in this case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it's very much a product of its time. For me, it feels like summer in the late 80s, and it's dumb mm-hmm. that they're even going to school. It's like, why can't it be like summer school? This obviously was not filmed That's in... That's part five. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I really feel like this one should... It's like, why are they still in school? Is it like in in May? Is it June? What? And uh, like, I don't know, it just always seems it seems too nice for them to be in school. Yeah, I there's one scene I have to say that if I really think about like it being super scary Mm -hmm. and I think it's that moment in the classroom when the teacher is talking about um, dreams like that's the only moment that I was like, well, that's kind of creepy. And like talking about the like the philosophy of dreams yeah and it was the only time that i felt like the movie took itself kind of seriously and that otherwise it was just like off its chain the entire time like yes ridiculous yeah i thought it was fun and apparently this is robert england's favorite of the films like he had the most fun doing this one but he hated the script originally he came around what's that he hated the script when he first read it. he did he did but but he came around to it. <laughs> yeah, I like the dog with the white face and dots on it. It's, na- uh, it's named Jason. Yeah, piss and fire. And bringing uh, him back to life. Oh yeah, and uh, it's like, is that Mike the dog from? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it is though. Uh, the the, so, the famous dog actor Mike the dog, but it doesn't oh, say. Right on. So, so the, it's directed by, and I'm going to mispronounce his name. I get, is it is it Rennie Harlan? I think so. Who who, who, who actually like plays a character in it? Like, doesn't he have like cameo in the classroom or something like that? He does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's he's Finnish, but um, but um, oh, James Cameron is supposed to have cornered him and asked him, "How are you bringing Freddie back?" Oh, and he goes, well, a dog's going to piss fire. <laughs> yeah, there's some like theory that it's supposed to be like representative, like a hellhound or something like that. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I think that's kind of a stretch. I think he's just like, I just want to have a dog that pisses fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, my understanding is they kind of made it up as they went. Uh, that's pretty funny. Makes sense. Which. 
improv if done right can be fun. yeah yeah there's some but there's some things that like in this story that just feel so ding ding dumb like alice in general like i like the idea of um like Kristen's character was like a glue cohesive character Mm-hmm. Honestly, if they could have just kept um, Kristen doing her thing and there was no reason to have Alice, but Alice is just basically an extension character of Kristen because she ends up absorbing the same ability yeah. by bringing people in and then she is herself as an absorber of powers or whatnot. Like, I got my super smarts from my smart friend and yeah. my strong friend, I got the ability to kick ass. And it's like, really, like, are these powers? Like, Kristen's power is like a power. But the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of silly. It's silly. But I love it. Like, that's what I love about it. And, And I'm not a fan of killing off the cast from a previous movie. Yeah, me either. Because I had not seen the previous movie. I didn't have an emotional investment in them. Well, I mean, Joey and Kincaid were like, they were heroes in the last movie. They kind of helped like the Kristen yeah. get out. And, yeah. She was played by Patricia Arquette in the, in the third film. And it's worth going back and watching. You would really enjoy it. But yeah, no, they have to kill them off because they're competent enough to kill off Freddy. So if they get surprised, yeah. attacked and killed off, they can't just do the same thing from three again in four. And then just they're like, all right. Now we got it double fixed. <laughs> True. And that's 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 kind of like a rule in multi-sequeled horror movies is like if you have someone that lasts like more than one movie, they got to generally get killed off in a movie or two down the way, whether it be Friday the 13th, Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Halloween, <laughs> even though Halloween, I don't even get me started on Halloween. <laughs> the so, continuity is so I don't know, but yeah. I mean, my biggest, I, I, I think that yes, the franchise itself like petered out. Of course, I mean, it did, and then had a little bit of young blood <laughs> um, added, and that also made it kind of come back. But I'm yeah. okay with it not coming back. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think I'm... that it'd be interesting to see um, a, I don't even know. Like, honestly, I'm okay with it just being what it is and being done with Freddy Krueger. I don't really want a Freddy Krueger in the in the real world. And I yeah. definitely don't need another Jason versus Freddy. Or, no. um, yeah, that was, I mean, silly, fun, good times. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. But I really don't consider it part of like the Freddy Krueger story um, at all, like as far as the canon of the stories. Yeah, yeah. And I no, definitely it's... don't like the like the reboot. Like I was like, the, the, I didn't even watch it. I pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that guy's a great actor and all, but like we just didn't need it, and no. it just was unnecessary, and it wasn't successful. So yeah. But going back to this movie. This got some funny good deaths in it, oh, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. So I don't know. I know the David, like you haven't seen the third movie, so you don't really recognize that there's like he starts to do this thing after the during the third movie that starts up and then into the fourth movie where it, like each death has this kind of like 
you know, funny moment. Like in the third movie, the girl who gets pulled in the TV screen because she wants to be a um, an actress. <laughs> oh, prime time, bitch. Like yeah. it's um like those those get those are reason why the the deaths are so hilarious in this one. I mean, like well, let's see, we have twin brother who gets or not twin. That was the original script was that they were going to be twins, but big brother gets killed by the ghost version of. Freddy or the glove, the invisible Freddy. That was dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the death of the classmate, um, the brain girl. Um, what's her ding, ding, name? Um, anyways, her character gets killed off by getting her, her soul sucked out of her. Yeah. It's, it's silly. But mm. you have to admit, it was like exquisite art seeing um, the death of uh, their friend oh gosh the bodybuilder girl yes her Debbie Debbie Debbie. her death is hilarious so so you know what this reminds me of yeah what's that James Bond okay they realized they realized real quickly in the James Bond movies they could get away a lot more if they put a joke afterwards. Absolutely. And make yeah. it absurd. Uh, make yeah. it absurd. If, if, you know, they could do some rather violent deaths, but then put like one liners in it and it wouldn't affect, you know, the ratings or the, the, the reviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. And yeah, no, that's that's something about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is they are able to get away with some stuff because one, it looks fake as hell when they do it. It's super unrealistic. I mean, you don't have to warn your warn your teens about like, hey, you know, when you look up at your jack off poster, don't fall asleep because you could end up inside of your waterbed, okay? I thought that was a cool death. What a cool death. It was such a cool death. Such a cool death. Poor mom. Yeah. (laughs) It was, no, it's, it's still like that and the, the cockroach one, I, I I still think are like my two favorite. Yeah. The cockroach death always for me, always like, because not only like musically that was, she's getting like massacred to like Shane O'Connor, but just like the, the idea of like this, like bodybuilder girl is like totally freaked out by bugs so much. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absurd. I love it. Yeah. What and, the hell was she eating that had a bug on it? Potato chip, I think it was earlier. <laughs> that yeah. potato chip was really gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a few of those. But yeah, three through five are the best in the series, in my opinion. They're funny. They have this energy to them that the first few don't because it, you know, it's like in three, they realize, wait a minute, we can make this fun. It doesn't have to be that scary. There's some pretty stupid stuff that happens in these movies. Let's make it more fun. And then you have like these three movies that it's kind of fun and colorful and loud and music and all kinds of coolness. And then you have like the remakes that are just kind of like, or the, 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 Ooh, Freddy's in the real world or Freddy versus Jason. It's just kind of like, we're giving you something yeah. that you liked. Cause we're not going to make it anymore. Hopefully you'll like it as much as you like these other ones and we'll make money. 
but the fans see it and go, <laughs> they don't make more. So, yeah. And I'm not, yeah, I think part of it is the time, too. Yeah. They're just, I, I lived in it and I don't understand the 80s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but I think that there, that was, I mean, it became part of the zeitgeist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been too, the 90s and definitely the 21st century would have been too dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it, and, and the 70s maybe took itself too serious as a decade. Sure. Yeah. 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 Maybe the 60s, but, I think it, it, it had to be the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, there's kind of just, a... Oh, sorry. Oh, go for it. Oh, I was just saying, I saw some kind of funny trivia that... So you remember, like, besides the soul pizza, which was ridiculous, um, yeah. but, like, the on his chest when he's like, oh, my children, uh-huh. Linnea Quigley was yes. one of the souls. Yes, oh, my was. God. Which is awesome because yes. you know it's Linnea Quigley. <laughs> yeah. Um, funny story about me, my love of Freddy Krueger. Um, in 2013, my kid was a teenage, like a preteen, and mm-hmm. I decided I was going to take them to their first horror convention. So I took them to Crypticon. We went to the one on Seattle, and we walked around and like um, those who know me and know I am not a super spontaneous person. I'm pretty planned out and whatnot. But I walked past his booth and they were doing tattoos. And one of the flashes, one of the flash arts that they were doing was like Freddy Krueger's glove in kind of like um, an Ed Hardy kind of way. Okay. So I spontaneously got a tattoo at the, <laughs> at the convention. My kid was like, are you all right? You never do anything like this. Are you okay? <laughs> Well, that's but fun. Forever, that's one of my like favorite tattoos. It's my my glove club tattoo. That's very cool. That's yeah. very cool. I had to tell the story. Yeah, no, that's I, a I cool that's story. A cool story. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, this is one of those like it's too hot to go outside, watch a horror movie kind of horror yeah. movies. It's like you can watch it during the day. You can watch it at night. It's never going to be too scary. You're never going to be afraid of, like, Freddy Krueger. I mean, maybe if you're a little kid or if you're, like, really sensitive or something like that. But it's... Oh, I... I, I, Yeah. Oh, one of the... About this this fear of Freddy Krueger is in... Do you you guys remember the Cops episode of The X-Files? Yes. Mm-hmm. Where, where they, so that where, where they, where Scully and Moeller end up on an episode of Cops. Yeah, yeah, I do. And remember so that. they've got this, they've got, and it is this sort of monster of fear mm-hmm. that nobody can quite recognize. And they've got this, the art, you know, the crime artist is drawing this picture of this old Hispanic lady because it takes place in East LA. But mm-hmm. what their attacker looked like, and that they're done, they're they're ready to look at it, and it's Freddy Krueger. <laughs> because it's what it takes the form of what scares the person. Gotcha. Mm. I haven't and, seen and that if, one. Yeah. If if as, as actually that cops episode is one of the better episodes of uh, X Files. I've always missed it, but I've had people try and explain it to me, and I don't think they understood it because I'm hearing a different thing from 
you than what they were talking about. I've heard people talk about it like, oh, yeah, isn't there like werewolves in that one? Like, oh, I don't know. But I'm definitely going to look for that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you don't, and it's, it opens up, and again, we're going on a tangent, but it goes, it starts with the cops opening. And I mm-hmm. knew people who said, I watched the X Files. And all of a sudden, I thought I was stuck on watching cops. <laughs> so does it like use like the cops music, like "Bad Boys"? What you gonna do? It, it it starts just like an episode of Cops. Oh, That's wild! All. I'm, I'm going off 20 years memory, but yeah, yeah. But I think that that actually sort of captures it. There is, and okay, this is probably too much sharing. <laughs> but I had a dream once that I was duck in a dream and I wouldn't wake up and I would like tear at the dream and I would rip it down like a layer of of you know of you know wallpaper and then the next dream would come up and then and, and there's where we are we are vulnerable when we're asleep we are vulnerable yes. when we dream yeah and that I think does I think this movie does a very good job of putting that even though in a com- uh, comedic vein yeah yeah something i want to talk about this movie what it does also is it's kind of like um it's scary but it's also bright and colorful it's kind mm-hmm. of like 80s metal that had like vaguely satanic images but it's just like marketing by yeah. guys with like l- long hair and bright clothes and makeup on. I mean, I think that's why I was allowed to see this movie. If I, I mean, honestly, if I think about it, because I don't think my parents perceived this as being a horror film for yeah. like, I think they found it was probably not scary. Yeah. Cause I remember having a Freddy Krueger nightmare, kind of like the first movie where she gets pulled up on the ceiling and bloody guts and her bloody stomach and all that stuff. I remember sure. that really vividly. And that was scary, but this movie doesn't have, isn't frightening like that. No. No. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 just kind of like um, if if most horror movies we watch are like you know a well balanced pizza of all kinds of different things. A soul pizza. A soul pizza. Uh, uh, uh. This 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 is this is a cheese pizza. That you know, it's it doesn't have a lot to it, but you like it, you know. It's <laughs> it's fairly basic. It's it's just it's just cheese pizza. It 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 fills you up at the time. Yeah. It's cheese pizza with a lot of crust. <laughs> Word. But yeah, no, it's 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 really cheesy. It's a little crusty. Um, Robert England has such a career because of this. Uh, <laughs> this and uh, I, I mean, V, man. What's that? This and, the, and v. v. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, but really? it's like, with V, he's he's known by, you know, a kind of select group of people, but with, like, Freddy Krueger, he's known for multiple movies, TV show, as I said, all kinds of stuff. And... He has a distinct face. He has a distinct voice. Like, Freddy Krueger is really 
like one of those things. If you see like an old guy in a striped uh, sweater wearing a, like, a hat, you can be like, ha ha, Freddy Krueger. Or, you know, you put, put a bunch of stuff on your hand and you pretend that you have claws like, oh, I'm Freddy Krueger. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those cultural things that it's, it's like maybe I, I don't know if kids these days know who Freddy Krueger is or not, but I don't I know. Think they, I think they kind of do. If they do, cool. If they don't, no fault to them. I mean, should be taught in school, but it isn't anymore. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I love Freddy Krueger movies. They're not like my all-time favorite horror movies, but they are fun. And if one's on, I will sit down and I will watch it until someone who's like, what are you doing? Shouldn't you be doing something more important? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. And anyway, but yeah, Freddy Krueger, crazy stuff. Yep. Real story. Anything else uh, we want to add to talking about Freddy Krueger? Uh, I keep wanting to say uh, another name, but uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The Dream Master. I keep wanting to call it the Dream Warrior, but that's that's the one before. Yeah. It takes place in a mental institution, if I'm not mistaken. Totally. Okay. Kristen got sent there by her mother. Oh, that Kristen, bitch. on delay. On delay. I just love that. Yep. And she went out like a punk too. What? I know. They oh, oh everyone did an, I mean, okay, the waterbed one was pretty cool, but That was a great death. That was pretty cool. But Kincaid yeah. got a kind of punk death too. Yeah, yeah. It's like killed in a junkyard. Well, that's no fun. But yeah, no, it's a great movie. And all all everyone who is in it, it's like uh besides like uh Tuesday night. And everyone else who is in, like, three, it's like everyone else, uh, it's like, oh, that person kind of looks like someone. I wish it was that person instead. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's it's like everyone looks like knockoffs of uh, popular teens from popular teen shows. And... Much like popular teen shows, everyone is got to be at least in their early 20s who's who's playing a teenager in this movie. Yes. Yeah. But I, I feel like that's kind of standard for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, except yeah. for maybe the first one. I think I think think they actually had some teenagers in the first one. <laughs> wow. And, and, and I, that's also for 80s movies that do, you know, the Dawson casting of, you know, high, of casting, you know, oh, sure. and stuff that's yeah. like teenagers. Yeah, I like to think of it uh, when you're talking about 80s stuff, uh, fame casting. Yeah. <laughs> we have a bunch of people in their 20s and 30s playing teenagers at a high school. <laughs> anyway, I don't think That's anyone... pretty common for that time period, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anyone remembers fame. Ironically. I remember fame because okay. the high school I went to, um, you had to audition uh -huh. for, and so people always uh, likened it to fame. They were like, it's like the fame high school. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. All right. Good old Memphis, Tennessee. For my name. 
Remember my name. Remember. Yep. All right. So. All right. <laughs> I think we're done on Nightmare on Elm Street. I think we are too. We're getting goofy. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we will be talking about Froth Amon and Danny Boyle's Sunshine next oh, cool. week. Yeah. Whose pick is that? I Best believe that's mine. Dave's. Ooh, Dave, yeah. I love this movie, Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about it, but it's got the most an incredible cast. Agreed. Okay. I don't think I've seen it, so I'm I'm excited to see it. Mm-hmm. So, right. so I give you a tip, though. Yes. It's Sunshine, not Little Miss Sunshine. They're two different movies. Okay. All right. Ah, it's not like The Hunger. How there was it kept trying to get me to watch Hunger and The Hunger Games. And <laughs> oh gosh, right. Anytime you Googled that. No, I have to say one thing I'm about this film coming up though is my one of my favorite things to do is to watch this in a very dark room because okay. the visuals of the film are so beautiful that yeah. it it requires that striking like uh, difference. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, check out the show notes. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Instagram. And check us out at upcoming events. We're all going to be at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon, uh, first full weekend of October. And you can also check us out, I believe, oh, two weeks before that at Rose City Comic Con. Yep. We'll be there presenting. So you'll be able to see us there. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. That was a good episode. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. All right. Okay, I'll give this over to you. But I'm sorry, besides Sunshine, what is the... Oh, uh, it is... Uh... Toth Amon. Yeah, T-H-O-T-H. So I think it, it's Toth or Thoth. And A-M-O-N. Okay. Yep. For a moment there, I thought you said we were talking about Rashomon. I go, what? <laughs> that's that's a good movie for next season. Okay. Do you want me to send you this list of this of the um of the the season, David? Uh, I'm sure I have it. I okay, just, cool. I was gonna I, say I've saved I, it as a word file. Yeah. <laughs>